Hey everyone, we're taking a breather this week in observance of the upcoming Thanksgiving holiday, but we have a few conversations in the tank that we thought would be interesting to share, so you also have something relevant to listen to. Up first is a two-part episode about one of my favorite topics, 5G. Frequent Daily Charge guest Eli Blumenthal and I joined Brian Cooley for an episode of the ongoing series, Now What? The show that takes the problem in the modern tech ecosystem and consults experts in the field to try and discuss a possible solution. In this case, how 5G's rollout was affected by the COVID-19 pandemic and how things are going with the next-gen technology. Let's jump in and have a listen. Well, we're rounding about the first full year of 5G availability in several parts of the U.S. Of course, it came during a hell of a year, one with an awful lot of financial pressure on the households of those who we intended to adopt 5G. On top of that, surveys keep telling us a lot of folks think they have 5G. And to make it even more complex, 5G is arriving in phases. There's this 5G. And there's arguably a better one coming not long down the road. Two experts from CNET have a lot of clarity on this for us. Roger Chang's the head of news over at CNET and Eli Blumenthal, staff writer at CNET. Both of them spent a lot of time covering and looking at 5G and managing our coverage of this enormous, important, and sometimes hard to grasp topic. Let me talk, start with you, Roger. Uh, if you were to assign a, either a report card or a speedometer, whatever feels right to you, to how 5G is doing as we start to wrap up 2020, has it met, exceeded, or fallen short of expectations and progress, do you think? Well, I, I'd like to give it an incomplete, really, because it's still, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done with 5G. Uh, to be fair to the carriers, they have done the work to expand out these networks. But as you noted, we're in extraordinary times right now where people are usually stuck at home. And when you're stuck at home, you don't need a 5G network. You don't even need a 4G network. You've got Wi-Fi at home. So really, the justifications for this technology, even if it is getting rolled out steadily, aren't really there. And so, you know, try to be fair to the carriers. Like I said, they've done their work to kind of roll this stuff out. But in terms of the need for 5G, there hasn't been a real good justification for it. And interestingly, I was talking to some of our cohorts in our London, UK uh, office earlier this morning, and they've got this government mandate to get gigabit connectivity or something close to it to everybody in Britain, I think by 2025. And so they're looking pretty strongly at 5G to the premise, which you almost never hear about in the US as a way to provision homes. Do you think that's being undersold or underpromoted, or do we not so much need it in this country? Well, if you if you listen to Verizon, they they talk about it all the time. They do have a 5G home product. It's out in just a, a little bit more than half a dozen markets right now uh, in fairly limited deployments, but it's there. T-Mobile has also talked about the opportunity to connect more homes with 5G. That seems like it's, it's less of a priority for some of these other carriers. And even with Verizon, it's in a limited number of markets. There are 36 markets right now with 5G, uh, 5G mobile uh, millimeter wave the traditional kind of cellular 5G, but the the markets, actually like the home broadband service is still pretty limited. Eli, let me turn to you now about some of the on the ground look that we're taking at how 5G really works, because a lot of people are still trying to get their heads around what it does better than 4G. Uh, we are, depending when you see this video, we either are about to or have posted a look at 5G with sampling of it in uh, four or five different markets, New York, Iowa, Louisville, where we have our smart home team here in San Francisco, Chicago area. Um, where do you think we are? The question I asked Roger in terms of report card or speedometer about how 5G is doing so far. Uh, I agree with Roger. It's very much an incomplete. If we're looking at a speedometer on a zero to 60 scale, I'd say we're probably about maybe 30 miles an hour at this point. Hmm. We're starting to see some of the progress. We're starting to get some momentum. 
but we still have a long way to go until we reach that promised land of really, really fast connectivity pretty much anywhere you are. The uh, interesting thing that we keep seeing is phone users for more than a year now uh, have uh, significantly thought that they have 5G already uh, for various technical and marketing reasons. What's going on with that perception that people already have 5G? Because nothing will dampen their appetite to get 5G than thinking they already have it. Well, you have a lot of, and this started primarily with AT&T about, I believe it was around January of last year, where they rebranded their 4G LTE network as 5GE or 5G evolution. This meant your iPhones that were older iPhones have a new logo. It says 5GE instead of 4G. And that would make people think that all of a sudden my network is better. And to make things even more complicated, because why not? The network actually was getting better. It was using a later version of 4G LTE, a similar version that that uh, Verizon and T-Mobile have used called LTE Advanced. So it actually was getting faster speeds, but it wasn't noticeably faster. It wasn't anywhere near the promises of 5G that the carriers are touting now. And it was lacking a lot of the other benefits that I think consumers are less up on, like low latency, which they often don't even know that what that is, high density of connections, uh, greater reliability. All of that is still coming in a future sort of build out of 5G, isn't it? Yes. All those bigger 5G features, the ones that you spoke about that will enable things like self-driving cars or telemedicine or you know, uh, one of our colleagues used an example of Zoom calls where you don't lag behind mm-hmm. what you're saying. All that's coming. And it's actually starting to show up slowly but surely in the 5G networks that are being rolled out now. But yes, AT&T's 5GE did not have that. The early versions of 5G were really hard to find those improvements. There was more uh, similar to traditional 4G and what the speeds and experiences you were getting on those networks you're getting with the early versions of even the nationwide 5G networks. Uh, Eli, let me ask you about the um, the situation out there with 5G for people that are not, not sure they need it. Uh, we've been we've kind of been referencing that here with a lot of folks saying, you know what, I'm good. 4G is good. Uh, it's worked really well. Uh, all, you look at lots of consumer st- st- studies and they will show you that people are not burning to get rid of 4G the way they were 3G. That was a painful form of broadband. What do you think might convince people? Like when you talk to people over over lunch or coffee or dinner, and they know you cover 5G a lot, what do you say to them that would get them interested in 5G? I think one of the big drivers could be the deals that are offered from the carriers. When uh, T-Mobile was announcing one of their their new uh, promotions earlier this year, we actually had the CEO of T-Mobile, Mike Siebert, on a podcast with, with Roger and I. And he said having a 5G iPhone would be, I believe his words were, a dream for the carrier. So, between the new T-Mobile Sprint, this larger version of T-Mobile that's now surpassed AT&T as the second largest carrier, you have AT&T now at third place, which they haven't been in for quite a while, and Verizon, who, as far as 5G footprint goes, is actually in a weird position where they don't have the strongest network that belongs to T-Mobile, you could actually see some real competition from the carriers on making these devices more affordable and subsidizing them to try to keep you locked onto their network for the next 24 to 30 months. Yeah, I think a lot of us were not aware of the fact that there's been such a tumult in the traditional rankings where it was always, I guess, Verizon and AT&T very close at the top. And then you always thought about the other guys as the other guys. But what a change. Yeah, it completely changes the game. And when it comes to, you know, convincing people to upgrade, the biggest thing 
is the price. And if they can get a deal where they trade in that 4G iPhone and get the newer one with 5G, with whatever other new features Apple throws in there, whether it's a faster processor, better cameras, better screen, all of that could be really tempting if the barrier to entry or the barrier to upgrade is much lower. That's a good place to put a pin in the conversation. We'll pick this back up tomorrow where we'll focus specifically on Apple's adoption of 5G, what the killer app will be, and why you as a consumer should be excited about 5G. If you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter at The Daily Charge or send me a text message by signing up at 646-461-4291. Also, please subscribe and rate the show. It really helps us out. For The Daily Charge, I'm Roger Chang. Thanks for listening.